You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole and so excited to be back with you as uh, we're recording. It's going to be a huge week for the 602 Club because we're going to be celebrating 400 episodes and with me uh, as she is every single week for the most part, uh, unless, you know, you come down with a Pandoran flu. It's the one and only Christy Morris. Hello. I'm here. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here today. You forgot to fill out your paperwork. Exactly. <laughs> I'm Roz today. Oh, man. Oh, but classic. Yes, just getting over the uh, Pandoran flu um, and uh, feeling much better finally and glad to be back to talk about this movie. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, you know, it, it, it it's interesting because as we're planning the schedule, uh, I didn't realize that they were going to be putting Avatar back out into theaters. We just knew that the new one was going to be finally coming out in December. And so I thought, okay, we should finally probably talk about that. So it's, we'll, we'll probably, you know, you got to talk about the new one. And so, mm-hmm. but we got blessed because it got put back into theaters. And now we're going to get to discuss that for episode 399 here. Before we do that, though, uh, got a couple things for you. Uh, one is that uh, because we're celebrating 400 episodes, uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of do a giveaway. Uh, and I've got two posters. One is uh, the Avatar poster from the re-release here. It's really nice. Uh, as well as a poster from the biggest movie of the year, Top Gun Maverick. And I'd love to give those away to you. Uh, to enter, the only thing you need to do is you need to help us out uh, by giving us a review and star rating over there on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's been a while since that's happened from anyone. And so we're going to take all those new reviews in and we'll just draw a name. From those, and so what you need to do is you just need to make sure that you write us a, a review uh, and you give us a star rating there, uh, and we will draw a winner not with episode four hundred, but we'll do that with episode four oh one, and that way people have time to actually give us some reviews and ratings here. So just it's gonna we've got the next week, and so please go do that for us. You know uh, we say that so many times, and, and I just want to explain. Why podcasts say that? Apple is the, still the biggest system for anyone to get podcasts. If we look at all of our stats, they're still getting drawn from the Apple system, whether that's from Apple Podcast or um, from one of uh, like the other, like through iTunes, or I guess it's Apple Podcasts even now on your app, uh, on your computer. So, but that still s- tends to be the biggest system. And the algorithm, draws off of reviews and ratings. And so the higher reviewed and rated podcasts are the ones to which uh, get put into those algorithms when people are searching for podcasts. So you can help us out if you want us to continue and last and be able to continue to grow as a podcast, uh, which we would love to be able to do. 
doing that for us is the best way, the free way uh, to, to help us out. And so please go do that. And we'll reward uh, one of the listeners here with uh, those posters. Now, uh, it is uh, for the USA only. International shipping and all is just too much. Uh, and it's not easy to check the international system for Apple. Anyway, all that said, help us out. We we really love uh, to, to be able to continue to grow, and we also love uh, to reward you as a listener, so please do that for us. Uh, you could also help us out some other ways. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please do uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at The 602 Club. We You can also follow us on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. It's also a great way to help us grow the show by sharing us through social media and with your friends, because word of mouth is the best way to grow podcasts. So tell your friends about us uh, in all of those ways. And of course, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM with the entire network. There's the listeners-only discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world about what we're doing. And of course, Trek.fm is our main website where we're with the entire network and you can see all of the shows we're doing. Last but not least, if you love the network, you love the show, The 602 Club, and you want to make sure that keeps coming to you, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and support us. We are actually below the level we need to be at to, to make this run every single week. Uh, and so we need your help. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help us and be part of our team and make sure that all of these podcasts keep coming to you. So all of that said, Christy, obviously this for the longest time, uh, had been the biggest movie of all time. Uh, it's been eclipsed now. Uh, but I'm really interested to kind of just hear about, because when Avatar came out, it was something that really just blew up. And mm-hmm. it became uh, this phenomenon, um, which is one of the things that helped lead it to be the biggest movie of all time. So what was your first time like seeing this movie and how did how did you respond to it back in the day? So I was trying to remember where I was in life that year. Um, and actually, I was in the middle of changing schools in college. Um, and little did I know a year after I would meet the love of my life at my new college. Um, but I digress. Uh so I was kind of uh, busy in 2009, but I do remember going to see this in the theater. And I will say being a little hesitant because I remember it was always pumped up as this larger than life thing in all of the marketing of it's James Cameron's avatar, you know, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like it's his specific avatar. But anyway, um, and just thinking, okay, give me a break. It's a little much for something that's completely new. It's not like it's Star Wars. You know what I mean? It had that feel that they were trying to convince you that it's that epic. You have to go see his masterpiece. Um, so I was very skeptical at first about whether or not I would even like it. Um, but I definitely did see it in the theater and did like it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I find that it's really interesting. And I, you know, I did, I'm, I'm just making sure I'm doing some research and at least right now, um, I'm looking at this list. And so 
and anybody can tell me I'm wrong because they did some other research. But at least right now, according to uh, the 50 highest grossing movies on Rotten Tomatoes, um, uh, as of 8-12-22, Avatar is still number one. So I thought that it had been eclipsed eclipsed by Endgame. Uh, but apparently I was wrong. So, um, and you know, again, I'm sure somebody will tell me I'm wrong if I am. So, um, but I, I think that is really interesting. You know, um, we have talked about, uh, uh, and of course now I'm looking at IMDB and they are saying that, uh, Avengers Endgame is number one, but I think Avatar, now that it's been out again, it's made money again, so that may have put it over the top. So anyway, uh. they're jostling for position. So anyway, <laughs> that's not important. Uh, no, I, I think, you know, you're, you know, James Cameron, obviously he did Aliens, uh, he did Titanic, he did Terminator 2, um, and, you know, he was somebody who was known for these massive epic movies, um, and... You know, had a talent, obviously, uh, for creating films uh, off of what other people had done and maybe even making them better. I don't think anybody argues that Terminator is better than Terminator 2. And a lot of people consider Aliens to be better than Alien. Um, and Me so, included. You know, uh, exactly. So, I mean, and of course, uh, people loved Titanic when it came out. It was another movie that had just mm-hmm. gone on and on and on and as their heart like your did. heart exactly um <laughs> and was the, one of the highest grossing movies was the highest grossing movie for the longest time uh until you know avatar uh came out and so you know i think um i think it's it, it's one of those things where i can totally understand how you're feeling especially for myself I've liked James Cameron movies, but I would never say that James Cameron movies have ever been my favorites, and I've always been a little bit more critical of him as a director than I think a lot of other people, Um, and personally, it's for me, I've never connected with his films as much on a character level Mm -hmm. as I have... Uh, other movies and for me personally you know character stories and those kind of things are really the most important thing so i remember seeing this in the theater when it came out Uh, the most memorable time is i was dating a girl and we got to the theater late and this is before obviously way before you reserved your seat and we were sitting on like the front row at an imax 3d screening on the side Mm. it was awful um I had seen it before that in in IMAX 3D, and, you know, I think um, it was a different experience then when you're sitting at a good seat and everything. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, my my first time, though, I mean, this is one of the things that that made this, I think, such a kind of a, a phenomenon is, one, 3D had really just kind of come into its own again, and this movie hit at the exact right time. So Cameron definitely was a part of, like, pioneering 3D again for mm-hmm. a second time. And it, it it was everything that you needed a 3D movie to be to capture the audience. Um, and 
I, I guess one of the questions I wanted to to ask you is seeing it then and and seeing it now. Do you think that this is a movie that just works better in the theater than it does at home, especially be seeing it in three D? Yes. Okay. I think because it is designed to be so expansive for the world building that, yeah, you can watch it anywhere and it's still a good, respectable movie. But to make the most of your viewing experience, this is really the kind of movie that's made for IMAX 3D or at least the theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I think I think there really is something to that. I, I, I think there really is. Um, you know, in all honesty, this is not a movie, as we talked about our first time. I haven't seen this movie since the theater. It's not oh, really? a movie that I've ever watched at home. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I do think that that first experience and the experience in the theater, you know, this really feels like a movie that was made for the movies. You know, I mean... It's, um, as much as I, it's it kind of reminds me, you know, it's, it's, it's as much as I enjoy watching a Star Wars movie at home, there's something about seeing it on the big screen mm-hmm. that just makes it a completely different experience, you know? Um, and I think Cameron and, and I'll give him credit, like Lucas, he has the ability of creating these movies that just are made for seeing it in the most expansive screen possible, um, to really draw you into the experience, you know, as much as I'll say, as much as I love the movie Dune that came out last year, um, I think that that movie uh, it was made for the theater. Oh yeah, you know, I love watching it at home. I think it's great and 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 all that, but I I I would much rather you know see it on the big screen. Well, and like after I saw that, I told someone it was like an experience more than Mm -hmm. seeing a movie. Yeah. So you went to the Avatar experience, not just to see the Avatar movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I agree. Uh, So uh, for us being back in Pandora, obviously, you know, this movie uh, was something incredibly uh, groundbreaking. And one of the ways was its 3D. Uh, And Cameron had created his own system with 3d and the system used two high def cameras and a single body to create the depth perception so not only was he doing a 3d movie but he was creating technology to which allowed that 3d movie to feel more real than just like a post-conversion 3d so he was literally shooting in a format that would allow that 3d to be real and i think you know, that's one of the reasons that this movie became such a phenomenon uh, in the theater back then was because he was doing something that nobody else had done before and almost like legitimizing needing to see this in 3D because I don't think the movie is quite the same seeing it without the 3D. And Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible technology. You definitely feel completely immersed in this film in 3D. And 
seeing it again, I was surprised about how I was never pulled out because there was never a shot that just didn't feel right. Everything looks and feels perfect when it comes to the 3D of this movie. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that they needed to focus on and that is still relevant is the technology piece of it. That this is, especially for people that are um, cinephiles, huge. And it's such a difference if you compare it viewing um, something that was not shot in 3D and then was later, like you said, um, changed over to be in a 3D viewing format versus then this having been shot in 3D and having this additional type of filming style to capitalize on that even more. So it, it does, like you were saying, like if we think about how horrible some of the scenes were from Mission Impossible 2, <laughs> where you could very clearly pick out where yeah. like the 3D doesn't work. Um, there were nothing, there were no things like that in this movie at all. It's very seamless in that aspect. And you can tell, even if you don't know a lot about cameras, that there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, it, you know, one of the, the beauties of what, uh, Cameron did here was they were supposed to film this earlier. Uh, in the mid nineties and, uh, like mid 1997, I think, um, and they were going for a release in 1999 and Cameron had been working with digital domain, which is effects uh, house. He'd been, uh, partnered with, and he just didn't feel like that this was ready and that the technology was ready. Uh, and I think there's something um, to me that's that's really fascinating about that. Um, and the fact that he knew that that was the case and he was willing to spend the time to make sure that it it needed to be what it needed to be so that it would look right uh, was really smart. And, and I mean, he spent years working on the technology for the motion capture specifically so that he could make sure that this would look the best that it could on screen. And, you know, I think, um, you know, even seeing it now, that's one of the hallmarks of this movie is the fact that it looks consistent in its effects from start to finish, which might be one of the most important things possible in a film with a lot of special effects. Mm -hmm. I think all of us have, have watched, we've watched a film before that has a lot of special effects and there's a scene where one of the special effects doesn't work and it pulls us out of the story. And the beauty of this movie, and I would say the thing that it is best at, is that every single shot is consistent from start to finish in the film. So that there's never a moment where I feel like something isn't quite right in my brain. No, every effect and the, the entire effect of the movie is consistency. And therefore, I'm never pulled out because something just doesn't feel right. 
Uh, and I think there's something really impressive about that. And um, this is not a slight, but in the end, I, f- I feel like that makes this movie feel like the, like, ultimate video game film. Because you, it, it feels like a video game cutscene. Because yeah. just there, there's everything is so well crafted that you can never really tell what's real and what's not in the film, which is exactly what you want. But there is this sense, especially now as we rewatch um, this this movie, the the effects are at a specific level, and everything you can tell it is computer generated, um, and but. It's so consistent that in many ways that doesn't matter. Um, right. And so the, the greatest highlight of this film, I think, is like you said, it's the technology. It, it's it makes this movie what it is. Um, and it's still very impressive because I think recently there's only been one movie where I've really felt that where the the effects and the world building and everything felt consistent from start to finish and never drew me out. And one of the few that I can think of is Dune. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just like you said, it has to be consistent and it has to be good here because Mm -hmm. none of the locations are real. (laughs) It's all relying on the effects and the camera work and, you know, what you can do to make it look visually as, as best as possible because it's not like they're able to film on location. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and I will just say one more thing about it, just to draw a comparison for people. I think, think about the effects of recently when we were talking about the first Men in Black movie with the creature work and how for its time, that was groundbreaking for the the effects. But then you compare it to this and it's like, oh my God, that's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I I agree with you. I mean and and I, that's a that's a great tra- I love that the transition the idea of you you're mentioning it like the world building here. And you know, one of the things that they do spend a ton of time on that they and they before they did this movie was the world of Pandora. Uh the mm-hmm. the Navi themselves, the language, the plants the animals the makeup of this world how it's all connected how you know everything about it and so i am wondering for you because that i think is 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 an absolutely important part of this movie and and how it works how does that work for you with with all of that world building of pandora itself i think that that was the coolest part honestly i mean i think that the it had to look realistic it had to suspend your disbelief enough to where you would accept where you're going um is a possible place that humanity could go to you know and and that they're explaining you're getting there through you know cryogenic freezing basically to last the amount of light years it would take um but they really thought about how the ecosystem would be put together um And I love that they don't really fully reveal until the very end how, um, you know, they have Sigourney Weaver's character talk about the connections being, you know, 10 to the fourth, whatever, between 
every tree root to the other trees. Um, and that it's this even more symbiotic place than we could ever imagine earth being. And then they show you that by actually doing some sort of reveals here and there visually with like the seedlings or whatever that float through the air that they say are like messengers from Awa. Um, I think that they just really immerse you so much into this and clearly took a lot of inspiration from nature that we know here um, and then did something different with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that this, this movie and the consistency with the technology, I think there was a consistency in the world building here with the, um, you know, the Navi and then all of the animals and plants and everything on this to kind of create um, something that your brain was like, okay, with what they've shown me so far, that makes sense. Um, I think the only is I was watching the movie and I'm just kind of thinking critically. The the one thing to me that didn't quite make sense really was like the floating mountain still. I don't, I don't get mm. how that's possible, you know, and uh, how, you, how the way that like, I just don't get it, you know, and it, they didn't, I kind of wish in some ways that there had been some explanation for that, like that it had to do with maybe the unattainium, you know, like that, that creates in this area, there's a large amount of it or something. And then it creates this, you know, field, which causes these mountains to float or something. I, you know, I don't know. I, right. Something's but, off with the gravity of this planet. And that's why yeah, these rocks yeah. floated up. I mean, they talk about that this area makes the, these, the, the sensors on the ship and everything and flying it difficult. And then it go kind of crazy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it it um it it just felt a little bit strange to me um that part. But otherwise, you know, I mean, you know, they they definitely thought out uh, of uh consistency in, you know, how the animals basically have two front legs on each side, you know, and then just one hind leg on each side, you know, so that was there was a consistency there and um a look of 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 the the uh, life on this planet like that. That was really interesting. Um, oh, and that they all have the ability to bond. Remember, that's how they yeah, fly yeah, the yeah. creatures. They yep. have to, like, connect with them with their hair somehow. Yeah, which is also, I mean, we don't need to talk about it, but that's a really interesting question of how that <laughs> works in the sense that they also use that as, like, a bonding tool when they're, you know, wink, Mating. wink, bonding. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we don't need to get into that, but um, we'll let other people get into that on another podcast. Uh, but yeah, so again, yeah. the world building here, I think, is really consistent. Um, and I think that's one of the things, though, where uh, the effects themselves are so consistent. And yet there there's also a place where the effects still uh, with the creature creation not the Navi themselves, but the, the creatures themselves, they always feel slightly more plasticky, I feel like, than you would want 
instead of like real like flesh that you can like touch you know mm. um and i think part of that is that everything in this jungle there's very little f- there's no fur really it's all just like taut flesh and i think that was harder for them to do and even the navi themselves feel less like almost plasticky you know mm-hmm. they 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 feel a little more real but um yeah i, I again that's it's a, a testament to this film that they had spent so much time to try and figure out, okay, how do we create a world? Technologically, we need it to be consistent so that we're not pulled out effects-wise. Right. The same thing in many ways with Pandora itself. You need it to feel consistent so that your brain just kind of accepts. And and that's a really important thing. I mean, I think Cameron is well aware of that you need that for people to be able to plug into a universe uh, and just go with it. It's mm-hmm. what makes some universes successful that people watch and others not, you know. People feel felt like they could plug into the world of Star Wars even though they'd never seen anything like that before. Why? There was enough in there that connected with a part of their brain that could then just, like, do the work for it without them actually thinking about it. It just was a subconscious thing, so... Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Cameron was very important. I mean, this is very important to him. So, um, so we, we mentioned at the beginning, uh, and, and I kind of mentioned one of the things that for me, Cameron has always struggled with, honestly, I feel like with characterization and characters. And so with the cast here, um, you know, this is a movie that relies heavily on, um, marrying obviously technology uh, with performance. So our main character here is Sam Worthington, uh, who plays Jake Scully, who is basically roped into a mission that he wasn't supposed to be on because his brother died. And his twin brother. They, his twin brother, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he can, you know, be a part of this project still because of the genetic makeup um, of him being a twin. And what did you what did you think of his performance cuz in many ways i do feel like he's in many ways the most important character for us to really be able to if 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 we're not connecting with him this movie's not going to work yeah it's interesting he makes me immediately kind of think more of mark wahlberg a oh, little bit oh, interesting with okay. the way that he speaks and his like demeanor and stuff of kind of being like the tough guy, maybe a little bit more of like the, the bad boy kind of character where he, you know, he doesn't immediately follow the rules. He's kind of always going to be the rogue. Um, but his accent naturally in, in the film was just kind of weird. Like I couldn't figure out if he's like from Boston or what, that accent is but it's interesting um and sometimes that kind of distracted me from his acting but i do think you're right that it's still it had to work for this to work because he is the most prominent character in the whole movie um and that they still made a good choice because i think you couldn't necessarily use someone that was super established you know, it, he's not of the level of like a Brad Pitt or something, 
So it was nice to go with someone a little less known for this role and see how they do and actually watch him blossom in the role. And I mean, I I do think for the most part, he was very good. And I, I like especially they show the change in him from being a guy that initially is there on behalf of the military more than anyone else and is feeding information back to sort of the villains of the film and then eventually has a change of heart and becomes their enemy and an ardent supporter of what they're trying to do there on a research basis. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that that Worthington has to portray is the change from selfish to selfless, which obviously we've talked a million times about, and it's one Mm -hmm. of the most basic storylines, right? But legitimately, at the beginning of the film, especially when he even learns what exactly the military wants from him here is he doesn't care about the Navi. He doesn't care about this planet. What he cares about is the fact that they're going to give him this thing that he thinks he wants, um, which is his legs back. Yeah. Um, because, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and we're, there's so much you could talk about on, in all honesty, about you know the way he's treated and and you know he can't get his legs back um because of the military uh just just not taking care of him the way it should you know i mean the, the uh legitimacy of of the way that you know military takes care of its veterans and everything is is super important and all and here he's not taken care of um he's 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 not given the highest treatment because of the cost basically to them um, and so in the end, he has to go from a character who doesn't care about the cost his legs will cost others to being a, a character who's willing to give up that promise for the possibility that he might not only not get his legs, but he could die. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's a, that's a really key story to be able to get across and i think sam worthington does a decent job of that um you know and i think the movie allows him to be able to to portray that well enough which is important um i i don't think it's i don't think his performance is riveting or anything but i think it's enough to get the job done which is important um and I think part of the reason that he's able to accomplish it actually has nothing to do with him. I think it's because he's surrounded by this, especially when everybody first saw this movie, something you've never seen before. And you're not necessarily paying attention to him. Um, mm-hmm. And I, as much as you would be is if, this was a small, a quote unquote, smaller story. And maybe that's one of the things that I guess, you know, with me rewatching the film again, that I'm struck by is that now that I'm not bowled over at all by the technology, after that's gone, what else is there here for the movie? And, you know, then you start to look at performances and story and all of that. And, you know, I I think maybe that's where the movie 
maybe it doesn't hold up as well as it needs to because, you know, after the facade is taken away, what are you left with? And yet on the other side, you know, his partner in crime in this, uh, Zoe Saldana playing Natiri, I... I don't know. This might be one of the best performances I've ever seen her give. She's not necessarily one of uh, my favorite actresses, and and I've been critical of some of her roles in the past, uh, you know, when I've seen her in in other things, uh, especially uh, wanting more from her in something like um, Guardians. Um, But I, I thought that she gave one of her better performances in this film, I thought she did a very, very good job playing Natiri and all of the gamut of emotions that she has to go through. Yeah, I'm with you uh, with that 100%. I I do think that I would say probably her best role to me would be Star Trek, um, the uh, the new, new films. Um, but this was, in comparison to that, also good. Um, and she really gets across the whole vibe that they need for Natiri of being the leader's daughter and stepping mm-hmm. into those shoes. Um, and you know, the reluctant teacher for Jake, um, and then learning to trust him and to let in humankind to their world and, um, end up becoming one of their people. You know, I think that she really gets across, especially in the scenes, the sadness and immense pain that she feels through, you know, the destroying of the tree and um, her father dying and trying to figure out where to go from there. So, yeah, I, I was really impressed with her, especially. And I think that you needed, above all, her and Sam Worthington to work well off of each other as well for the character piece of this to work. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, I think, I think they both do serviceable jobs, uh, to make this, this story work. Um, and I, I think the rest of the cast, you know, we don't, I don't, don't know what else we could say about like Sigourney Weaver and everybody. And in all honesty, yeah. though, I think I think the rest of the cast, when I look at them, all of them fit so well within to who their characters are supposed to be in this movie that they're they're not necessarily having to necessarily work very hard to get there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think each one of them, we've seen them play roles like this in some way, shape, or form. You know, I, I think. Maybe the the biggest standout to me is honestly um, Rabisi, who, you know, plays this despicable character. Um, and he's just so good at it. He's so delicious at it, you know, like that he truly is somebody who's bought into a lie that it doesn't matter what he does. He does it doesn't matter what he does here because these people aren't important. They're just savages. And uh, it doesn't like he's. He's told that lie to himself enough times that he truly mm-hmm. just doesn't care. Um, and I think he does a really good job with that. And he, he, you just, him and then of course, like, you know, Stephen Lang playing the colonel, like they're just people who, who 
play the role of somebody you hate. Awesome. You know? So Yeah. I will say the only detriment story-wise to this movie to me is that the the storyline as far as having um the general that will go to any means to accomplish the ends he's been ordered um is not an original storyline <laughs> you know i'm going down if it's the last thing i do you know um so that hurts it a little bit for me mm-hmm. because we've seen that a million times in yeah. movies that have anything to do with, you know, um, military takeover. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise I think that they do all do a good job. And I mean, it's, it's still an original idea as far as how they get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I so, you hitting on the story, I think, is is so important because I think one of my biggest criticisms of the film is that if you strip away the facade of all of the technology, what you are left with is a story that we've seen a million times, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's necessarily all that interestingly done. So, you know, with them, the setup is that Earth's natural resources have been depleted and this corporation, the RDA, uh, Resources Development Administration, they found this valuable mineral called unobtainium, which might be one of the worst possible names. I mean, talk about it's lazy. It's so bad. It's so <laughs> bad. I mean, unbelievably stupid name. Uh, and so... They find it here, and of course, this this whole film is about this that that whole idea of like, you know, what you'll do to obtain what you shouldn't obtain, or you know, shouldn't have because it shouldn't be yours, or you know, and the consequences of like, there's just in the end though, really, what the story is, is that this is Pocahontas Fern Gully. I was gonna say Fern Gully. You know, it's it, and they even. You know, Cameron himself even said this this story is is very much Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. And I just don't I, I think the problem is is that this the story itself doesn't do a good enough job of supporting the rest of the what they created. The technology, the world that they've created, everything else, it just doesn't feel interesting enough to support me wanting to kind of come back. And and I think that, yeah, this, the story here just really lacks that something special that makes the movie stand out beyond the fact that it Stands out in 3D. (laughs) Well, okay. In its defense, playing devil's advocate, though, I will say, for me, the one thing that saves it out of all of that is the aspect of it being through the eyes of a humanoid avatar. That it's, it's got that different angle of viewing all of this because... 
this is something I don't recall seeing in any other movie prior that we're not exploring it as humans in spacesuits. We're exploring it as a brain connection to a genetically engineered body. Mm -hmm. And then they also find a way to import Jake's consciousness into that body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing that's the magical piece to me that then makes me interested mm-hmm. for more is is that what sure. they're going to continue to do. Yeah, I mean I, I I can definitely see that. Uh and and I can definitely see how that it, it does it does definitely have something interesting there with the whole idea of them you know with the story that and on pandora everything is interconnected and basically the the interconnection of this entire planet is the ultimate hive mind right you know um not borg like but like the, the you know uh they basically took the idea of the aspen tree which is it, all groves of aspens are actually just interconnected they're all connected to one another they took mm-hmm. that idea and then they just exploded that to basically be an entire planet mm-hmm. uh, which is is interesting right um of course you know then you can get into the, all the the themes and 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 everything of of um symbiosis and interconnection and you know how you know we are connected with nature all that stuff right mm-hmm. um so yeah i i do i do think that that does create an interesting element to the story for me um I I will say for myself it's not enough story wise, okay. um, but I think you make a I mean a, an excellent point, and I think that's probably uh, I I think many people would have maybe me agree with you more than they would me maybe so um, I I could be in the the minority so but that that's that's definitely I mean it is a very good sci fi idea basically. So, yeah. yeah, that is one thing I think that, that Cameron and, and the movie do add. Um, so. But, I mean, to your point, and, and I agree with you on, it, without that, I think it could have been reviewed very badly. Because it would just be called derivative otherwise. Well, and yeah, and I mean, I, I think I think that's the thing, too, is that... and. I guess, you know, since we're coming back to this movie and we're rewatching it and everything, I think that's the thing that just really struck me, especially about the story, which is, you know, the technology itself still holds up. I, I was still immersed in the 3D. I thought all of that worked really well. Again, I talked about the inconsistency and everything, but the rest of the the movie felt lacking for me because the story itself, I don't find interesting. Uh, I don't find compelling, you know, uh, and, and part of you kind of said it, it's like, I've seen this before. Mm -hmm. And so once I've seen the technology part, well, when you strip all that away, you do need the story itself to be, you know, something that holds water without the technology. Right. Right. And so, um, I think that's the thing for me. And, and part of that, you know, like this movie is full of, of messages i mean we touched on a a few of them for a second but i mean we got the idea of environmentalism you know and how we treat our environment and other environments right you know Mm -hmm. we've obviously destroyed earth 
you know, we don't see Earth here, but apparently it's not going well there. Um, so we're on other planets uh, trying to, to get the resources from them. Um, we have the, obviously the idea of othering, of like, well, we call them savages or whatever, so we can just get away with doing what we want to them, so we, we can take the resources from them. Mm-hmm. Talk symbiosis, exploitation. I mean, the list goes on and on and on in this film, which I think is 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 something I always love. Um, but I wanted to ask you something, especially rewatching this. I I felt like there's no subtlety in this movie and that really bothers me because as much as i love good thematic elements i don't like preachiness did that Mm -hmm. come across to you at all yes (laughs) i'm glad that you brought that up because it it's not to say that obviously you and i don't feel that some degree of environmental protection is important yeah it's just that it can come across a lot of times in this movie as really hitting you over the head with how important that is. And you're just going, I get it. Stop beating a dead horse. I know. Um, Because they bring it up in so many different ways, the same topic of the environmentalism piece of it and of, you know, that this is really, it feels like a, almost an advertisement for save the rainforests because they're trying to show you, you know, how to appreciate the little things and that the benefits you might gain from mining them are not worth it, you know, instead to just appreciate what you have and take better care of it and find a way to work in symbiosis with it instead. Um, But that ignores the fact that civilizations also have needs that may not be met with that approach. So maybe the way they were going about the mining wasn't the right way, obviously, but there could have been an in-between solution. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, exactly. And because, you know, one of the problems of the, of the film is, is that, and, and what we see is that, you know, humans come in, we find this thing that we need there, and then we try to give the uh, people of that planet all the things we think that they need. Right. To impress them and get right. their trust. Except they don't want or need anything that we want. And so instead of, of doing what, I mean, what Jake does, which is to legitimately get in there, live with them, understand what they value, why they value it and all that, um, is the very thing that it takes to have like a, a good society in general. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's, there's one message in here, which I think is, is great. And it is not necessarily to me, it wasn't as preachy as all the other messages, which is, if you really want to understand somebody, the best way to do that is to spend time with them, to live with them, and and work to understand them. And right. I think, you know, that's what we get, you know, happening there with Jake. And it's obviously what turns him around in the sense that he doesn't go native. He just can understand the the world from their point of view. And, um, and that's the thing here is just, you know, 
I think we we see the problems in our world have come to the point where people are no longer willing to listen to each other's point of view because they just immediately see each other as others. Right. Instead of the symbiosis of we're all in this together, right? And Or individuality. So, yeah. So, yeah, I just like... um yeah, I I wish that the movie had found a way to be more subtle. And I do think that that's a part of the storytelling here too is that the messages are akin to the fact that the story is is quite basic and something we've seen many many times. And it, I feel like if you want to tell this story uh in a, you need to tell the story in a way that goes above and beyond in its storytelling so that the messages just don't feel so kind of blunt force trauma. Mm-hmm. And that the focus was made... so much on the effects maybe mm-hmm. yeah. and not the story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and that means that what you're trying to say is a lot less nuanced and thought out and it's more, I think this movie suffers from something that we talk about all the time, especially in its messaging, which is it's telling and not showing Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of times, you know, like we don't, we don't get to see earth at all. I think actually that some of the time of this movie should actually have been sent on, spent on earth just to give us an opportunity to understand just by seeing earth what's gone wrong mhm you know we're just told though by Sigourney Weaver's uh grace that yeah you know we are we screwed up earth and now we're here screwing up this planet mm-hmm. and so there's there's some of those big things that i i feel like again rethinking a little bit of this and just altering it slightly you could you could make it feel so much more impactful because yeah you just and i you know i think another part of that is that you do have rabisi's you know character and the colonel i mean they're just so mustache twirling and like again there's not a lot of nuance and it's just kind of this black and white thing and life we know life is so much more complicated than that you know um which anyway so yeah i guess we could probably keep talking about that but i just wish the messaging had been less preachy yeah i i completely agree with that i i do feel that every time i watch this movie and i think that you said it best when you said that it, it had no subtlety, that it was so pushy about a couple of big themes and didn't make room for really exploring anything more than that. So obviously, too, um, we uh, we do get a score here by James Horner, uh, who and also scored Titanic and, you know, did a great job with that for Cameron. And so his score here, how did, how did that work for you? Because a 
a big part of I feel like this movie is the way in which you know they are trying to create these different sounds in the score to bring alive this world and as we know from um you know our our discussion of of movies over these last few years what you hear audibly in a soundtrack can either make or break that working oh for sure <laughs> and i think here it doesn't it doesn't feel like it um stands out to me i guess is what i would say i think in a not in a bad way but basically i feel like the the score here is very natural for the environment it does feel that a lot of time was spent to make sure that it fit the um you know very like native um wild kind of feel that they're going for with a lot of the scenery um and with the you know the vibe of the movie kind of being like a Pocahontas or a Fern Gully, it fits. It just didn't feel to me like a stands out in my mind score that I want to go back to listen to on its own or um, have like a specific song that I think of. It was really just more like a great background. Does that make sense? I don't know if you felt yeah. that way or you're more of the score person, I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think um, I think that's actually a good way of putting it. Um, I think that this score does a good job of creating the audio milieu needed for you to feel comfortable in the world that they've created, and right. I think the theme is is decent. Um, I don't think that there's anything about the score that truly, like you said, makes it stand out in the sense that I'm like humming it in my head. You know, uh, last night, my wife and I had friends over to watch uh, Fellowship of the Ring uh, for one of their, uh, the this uh, other couple, and it was her first time uh, to see The Lord of the Rings. And mm-hmm. yet, one of the things about those films is the music. Howard Shore's score for those films is so memorable. It's not only memorable for the heroes, but it's also memorable for different parts of the world that he creates. You know, with the hobbits, with the fellowship itself, with the elves, with um, evil in that world. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think this is good. I don't think it's great, but I don't think it does a diff service to the movie in any way. I think it helps the movie. It gives it what it needs, but it doesn't stand above the rest. And so, yeah, um, which I, I this is a question that I've been trying to kind of how the how this movie holds up, because we know that we have three more of these movies coming. One of them's coming out in December. Um, Wait a minute. And I didn't know this. Yeah, I knew there, there was three more one of movie them coming. Yeah, mm. uh, supposedly. So, well, I guess, yeah. Um, I guess part of this, uh, how it holds up. One, what do you think the legacy of? Maybe we should just. We might have to tackle this in parts. But what do you think the mm-hmm. legacy of Avatar is? Do you think there's a legacy? Uh, you know how how. How do you think this movie has held up over all of these years, especially now rewatching it? I do think it holds up. Um, 
because I think that it still got just enough that was unique about it and was groundbreaking for its time to remain interesting to people even this many years later. I mean, I will say the ride for this movie at Animal Kingdom is still the best ride at that park. Flight of Passage. Have you ridden it? I haven't gotten a chance to, but I've heard it's great. Yeah. So it's like getting to live in the movie. And so for all of those reasons, I think that it's something that does still hold up and it will continue to be something people revisit. But as far as doing three more movies, I think they're being too overly ambitious. I thought that the idea of doing a sequel was a good idea just because I am curious this many years later where in that story we would be at this point, um, you know, where they're going to bring us back in, if they're going to be continuing to put humanity into new genetically engineered Navi bodies, um, or if they're going to live on the same planet in symbiosis with each other and only do that on occasion. Um, so I did have some questions like that, but I think that trying to make it into a saga and have four movies is too much Mm -hmm. because I just don't see where else they could go after one sequel. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, So how this movie holds up, I I think I don't I don't know how well it holds up. Um I think I say that because of the things that we talked about here where it, it's I don't think there's anything to really hold on to in this movie beyond the spectacle in the theater. Mhm. And because I don't, this is never a movie that I ever wanted to watch at home. Because the story never hit me in a way that made me wanted to to rewatch that story, regardless of whether I got to see it on the big screen or not. And I think that's the difference between like this and Star Wars, this and Dune, this and I mean, just name it the movies that you continually go back to in in different world building films because. You are compelled by so many other things other than the spectacle. Mm-hmm. There and is that's some why, story element. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's why, to me, I don't really think that this movie holds up all that well. And I'm not sure, and this is going to be the big test, is how does that hold up for not just the sequel coming out, but the other two sequels that Cameron wants to do? Do people care enough to want to come back over and over again to Pandora. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. All Mm -hmm. I can answer is for myself and to say, in all honesty, if we never got another Avatar movie, I would never have cared. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. You know, (laughs) like I just wouldn't have. Yeah. Because it was an incredible theater experience. Um, you know, I, I think that the tech we talked about it, the technology, the consistency of the effects work and everything like that all still looks great, especially reseeing it in 3D um, IMAX again. Totally all of that works. 
But what doesn't work and what doesn't transcend it for me to ever really wanted to see it beyond that again, I, I would if I never saw this movie again, I will never be sad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know, uh, you know, how that looks for the future when it comes to Avatar, um, which I guess leads me to a very important question for you, Christy. Which is, if you were going to rate Avatar, what would you rate it? And see, after the stuff you just said, too, it it actually kind of changed my rating a little bit because I thought about Ooh. Ooh, why have I not watched it mm. again in so many years? Because you're right. I mean, it it's not something that I just readily go, oh, yeah, Avatar, we should pull that out tonight. So that actually goes down a little bit for me. Um, so I will say purely because of that. And then also just the, like we mentioned, both of us, even, even though I defend the use of the avatar bodies being sure. the one thing that really makes it better for me and makes it different. I still think that it ends up being a three out of five stars for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just is mostly spectacle. Mm. It does have mm. some good things, but yeah, it ultimately it's not something that I've watched probably in 10 years <laughs> after I really think about it. So it's like, why didn't I? Well, that's probably what it is then. It's just that the, the story itself didn't have quite enough to be super memorable and set itself apart enough from other world building films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what about you? This is uh this is a really interesting question uh because when I went to look back at what I had rated it uh it was a 2. Mm. Uh when I came back from the theater I felt like it was a three, but as we've had our conversation, I'll split the difference. It's two and a half out of five stars. Um, okay. And uh, I, I just, it, for me, I'm, I'm, look, I'm not here trashing the movie or anything. I think I had some really wonderful praise for how the the movie, there, the ways in which I think it does still hold up. But I think the overall, the looking at the movie holistically it's a beautiful video game cutscene and that's kind of how I feel about it when I think of the weight of the film story wise and for me personally it just just obviously it's just my opinion but film comes down to how I connect with character and story and theme those are the three most important things to me. And that's where this movie doesn't live up for me. And therefore, it just doesn't give me what I want. Um, and so, yeah, I am super fascinated. The fact that Cameron wants to do more of these films. We've got The Way of Water coming out in December. And I will be very interested to see what that's actually like uh, as we move into that in December. Uh, but Christy, uh, 
before we get out of here, it's that time of the show for some recommendations. So what would you like to recommend to everybody this week? Well, um, I actually, I'm not sure if I recommended it already or not, but since I don't think I did, um, I am actually going to recommend that people check out a um, new show. It's a limited series on Hulu called Candy that is starring Jessica Biel. And it is a dramatic retelling of an actual murder story um, about a woman that um, seemed to be the average you know, super involved housewife, church going friend to all, um, neighbor, and then ended up, um, sleeping with her neighbor's husband and killing his wife. And the thing that makes it so fascinating, if you're into serial killer documentaries and dramas and things like that, is that, um, she actually was never um, charged in real life. <laughs> the woman literally got away with murder. Wow. Because they claimed it was self-defense. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. So um, anyway, but Jessica Biel does a fantastic job of playing the um, titular character um, and doing a retelling kind of, of of those events. And I think they just came out with like the last episode of the series or the last two. Um, and it's really good. And then, you know, got me down the rabbit hole of digging up all the actual history about it. So um, anyway, wow. I highly recommend checking out Candy on Hulu. It's super creepy. And during October, it's creepy month. So yeah, uh, it absolutely is. So uh, I am, uh, I'm going to recommend something to everyone, uh, that I've really been enjoying watching as, and so is my wife. Uh, we've been watching a show called Welcome to Wrexham, uh, which is the, uh, story, uh, Rob McElnary, uh, as well as Ryan Reynolds buying a football club in Wales called Wrexham, mm. uh, which they actually play at the world's oldest still used stadium in Wales. Uh, it's on Hulu. Uh, it is such a fascinating show. Um, one, uh, learning more about Wales and, and the culture there in Wales has been fascinating. Uh, if you have any interest at all in football, a.k.a. soccer, and understanding what it means to, to actually try and own a team, um, it, that part is fascinating. I mean, just the the, the ins and outs of that. Um, and it's also a human story because it's, it's really about this team, these players, this town, which the lives of the people in this town revolve around so much, you know, and it's just a really interesting way uh, of exploring how sports, um, can have such an impact on our lives for good or for ill. And it's the whole thing has been wonderful, uh, and really, really interesting. It's, it's, um, it's like a, I would say, a real life version of Ted Lasso in some ways. Uh, and so if you like Ted Lasso, this is is like, this is real life. These guys actually bought this team and they're trying to run it and they're trying to get the team promoted and all the things that, you know, you've kind of seen 
the fun version on Ted Lasso them dealing with, they're dealing in real life. So it's just been great. So I, def- I definitely think people should check out Welcome to Wrexham. But Christy, before we get out of here, uh, where can people find you if they would like to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on? You can, of course, find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And of course, on Facebook in the Babel Conference. And if you are interested in checking out a closed show that I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa, it's called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. Um, so I hope you'll check that out as well. But Matt, where can people find you? Well, of course, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. So Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. Please you know, follow me any of those places and get in touch with me. would love to hear from you. Uh, of course, I'm also here on the network doing a bunch of different shows. One is called Literary Treks. It's about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise. The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard and Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got two shows. One is a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman called Owl Post. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And last but not least, the great John Mills and I do Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast that you just have to check out. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs>